0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Continue our series in the Psalms this morning. Uh, In the staff, anyway, we're calling this Psalm September. Psalm September. So we are looking at a different psalm every single Sunday. And here's basically why we're doing that. Uh, We're doing that because the Psalms are the prayer and worship language of the people of God for centuries. That's what the Psalms are. And it just occurred to us a few months ago. That probably more than any other part of the Bible, at least in the history here at the Vineyard, uh, that's the section that's been most neglected in our preaching and most neglected in just uh, our interaction with it in the broader gathered worship context that is Sunday morning. And we thought, you know what, this is not okay. This is not okay. So we wanted to just take a month to say, how could we receive the language of the Psalms and how could we receive the formation that comes so that we could actually have more words to pray and uh, more words to worship with? Does that make sense? All right. I hope it does. That's what we're doing this month. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you out of Psalm 88 in a message that I'm calling No Resolution, No Resolution. No Resolution. Uh, here's why I'm calling this message No Resolution. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but most of the psalms are laments. Not, not some of them. Actually, most of the psalms are laments. There's 150 psalms, and most of them are laments. And if you're wondering, well, what does lament mean? It's like, it's like an outward expression of sorrow, uh, a visceral experience or an expression of sorrow. That'd be one way of kind of thinking about it. And the truth is, here in the West, we kind of don't, want, we don't know about lament that much. And the reason we don't, want, we don't know about lament that much is because we just kind of don't want to know about it. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever noticed that when somebody's really broken or uh, experiencing some difficulty, that sometimes if we're the broken one, we want to run away. And sometimes if we encounter somebody who's really broken, we're kind of like, I don't know what to say right now. How many of you have ever, like, avoided going to a funeral because you didn't know what to say to the family? You know, you don't have to put your hand up, right? But, but I, I, know that tem- I know that temptation, right? And it has to do with the fact that we just don't know the words, right? We don't, we don't know how to deal with our own grief. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is it actually gives us language for grief, uh, language for remorse, language for disappointment, language for anger. That's what we're going to see this morning. And... Uh, that's just real common, and so we want to be formed by that. Now, the other reason I chose Psalm 88 uh, is this. It's not just a lament. It's a particular kind of lament. Uh, Psalm 88 is a lament with no resolution. So if you've read the Bible at all, uh, you've probably noticed this, that in the Psalms of lament, they go something like this. Uh, Verse 1, God, why did you forget me? Uh, Verse 2, Uh, everything is terrible. Verse 3, I don't have any friends. Verse 4, the locusts have eaten the crops. Verse 5, I kind of want to die. Verse 7, but God's unfailing love is the rock that I stand on. Verse 8, I'll never forget it. Have you all noticed that pattern? Yeah, like, okay, so if you read the Psalms, most of the Psalms of Lament have sort of this pattern, like, lament, sorrow, anger, disappointment, and then at the end, there's some sort of a turn back to, well, God is awesome, and I'm going to put my trust in Him. Amen. You know? And that's kind of how they go. But I wanted to read this morning, and I wanted to do a deep dive on Psalm 88, because there's not that last two verses in Psalm 88. There's no resolution in it whatsoever. Doesn't that sound fun? Some of you are like, I was already a little bit sad and now we're going to read a psalm with no resolution. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. But before we do that, I want to tell you maybe in a more uh, in-depth way why I really wanted to jump in, not just to lament, but to this particular psalm that has no resolution. I wanted to do that because the psalms and then the in t- the scripture as well, just in a broader sense, uh, the scripture is almost always doing One of two things. So this would be one way to sort of like understand the scripture. The scripture is oftentimes showing us life as it really is. Have you ever noticed that when you read the Bible? That uh, the the camera, if this was a movie, that the camera that's inside of the Bible, it doesn't flinch and it doesn't cut away. So when someone's about to die, the Bible doesn't like cut. It goes, you know. And when someone's about to do something really bad or when someone's really about to screw up, the Bible has this unflinching way of just telling that story. You know, so there's this sense in which uh, one of the ways to understand the Bible is it's almost always showing us life as it really is. That'd be one thing. The second thing the Bible does is it shows us life as it could be, or life as it should be. Have you noticed that? Yeah, there'll be there's sense in a lot of the scripture where uh, there's a vision, uh, or or a hope, or or some sort of a some sort of a a, a leading to life as it should be. You know, I'm thinking of even passages uh, from Isaiah where Isaiah says that the the wolf and the lamb will what? Lie down together. Y'all know that passage? How many of you know that's not life as it is, that's life as it should be, and that's sort of a metaphoric, prophetic way of saying, like, there's going to be this day that's coming when natural-born enemies are not going to be enemies anymore and they're going to lie down. And so one of the ways you have to read the Bible is you have to go, uh, is the Bible telling me or is it showing me right now life as it is or life as it should be, you know? And the Bible does both at the same time. And here's what I've come to believe. I believe that healthy spirituality is holding those two things together in tension, okay? A healthy, spiritual, growing, mature person is someone who's learning how to accept life as it is and then life as it should be. We hold those in each hand and we don't let go. All right, so I just want to talk to you for a second about what happens if you're a person who is only accepting life as it is. You know, if you let go of as it should be, if you only accept life as it is, how many of you know that you're you're headed probably towards some pretty brutal disappointments, and not only that, but you've you've decided to limit your life or the scope of your life to the narrow band that is your life. You know, Uh, so only my experience is valid, or. Only my truth is what counts. You hear a lot of people talk about my truth these days. Can I tell you something? My truth is only a little bit true it 's not totally true. you know How many of you know that you can be quite sincere and totally wrong you know so there 's this sense in which if i only if I only live or accept life as it is or life as my authentic self, whatever that is, then there 's a sense in which i'm i 'm kind of walking a staircase down but then there 's also maybe some other people here, we'd call them maybe entrepreneurs or something, who really want to dive into life as it should be. You know, you know they're visionaries. You know, life as it should be. Uh, the justice people, life as it should be. How many of you know if you dive into life as it should be without any sort of awareness of life as it is, how many of you know that you can just miss people that God cares about? You can just totally miss people that God cares about. Like you can get so wrapped up in life as it should be or life as you're hoping that it would be, you can get so wrapped up into uh, this, you know, I'm air quotes here for the podcast listeners, air quotes, uh, you know, you can get better, you know, you can get so caught up in better that you miss life as it is, or you can, can kind of lean into life as it should be to the point that you begin to take on a certain kind of falseness, you know? You, you, you take on a certain kind of like positivity that's like, that's really cool, but it just doesn't feel real. Have you ever met someone like that? It's like, gosh, there's something there that's just disconnected from life as it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking this week, I was in Denver and in Colorado Springs, I was flying home yesterday, sort of thinking about this message, and I was, I was just thinking about, I was thinking about Syria, you know? I felt like the Holy Spirit just brought to mind Syria to me. How many of you know that there are people getting blown to bits in Syria? Like, Christians, not just, not just non-Christians, but Syria has quite a large Christian population, and It's not that we care about them and not the others, you know, Christians and Muslims and all kinds of people getting blown to bits. And how many of you know that for the most part, we don't ever think about it, you know? And I'm not here to make you feel bad about that. I get it. We're divorced by a zillion miles and and the news doesn't show it every day. So it's sometimes hard to care. But how many of you know that you can easily just sort of forget about life as it is and that my experience might not be the experience that other people are having? And maybe those are people that God cares about. Does this make sense? And so healthy spirituality is not saying life as it is only or life as it should be, but healthy spirituality is what's reflected in the Bible, which is as it is and what it could be. Does this make sense? Okay, it's one of the reasons I love a text like Psalm 88. Let's read it. It's 18 verses, a little long. And if you were hoping for something that was going to make you smile, it's not going to be yet. It goes like this, O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer and listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit to the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you've engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by tears. Each day I beg for your help, O oh Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Did the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick. I've been close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger is overwhelming. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. Everybody feeling good? Anybody want to put that on your bathroom mirror? No takers. No takers. It's like I said, this is a song of lament. Again, it's one that has no resolution. At the end, it's just kind of like downhill. And when I was reading this during the week, it brought up a few questions for me. And maybe, maybe they're questions similar to the sort of things that's popping in your brain as we read it. Questions like this. Um, how in the world did this get in the Bible? That was, that was like the first one I wrote down. How is this in the Bible? Uh, the second question I put down in my notes is, I thought complaining was, isn't complaining bad? Like, didn't those people in the Old Testament get swallowed in the ground because one guy, like, was a mumbler or something? And, and doesn't Paul say, like, like, the worst thing that can happen at church is for everybody to start quarreling? Like, isn't that the, like, isn't complaining bad? And what is this? It's just like one long complaint. And then I also wrote this, this little question down. Uh, isn't, it, isn't positive confession more helpful? Like, shouldn't this person declare they're well, free, and cared for? You know, you hear people like that. You sometimes hear, like, the TV preachers talk about positive confession. Oh, you're not sick. You're fine. You're, you know, I'm healed. Like, what in the world? Yeah. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to sort of unpack this passage in three sections or three ideas. I want to look at this passage through three frames. And the first frame that I want to look at this passage from is one I'm calling the nature of God. This passage draws into vision or is in a view the, uh, the nature of God. I want to start by just saying this. Uh, the Psalms in the Bible, are, they're a holy text. They're the prayers of the saints for thousands of years. Uh, and then The one we read this morning, it's basically right in the middle. There's 150 Psalms. And so just a touch over halfway, basically right in the middle, uh, we get a text that's an unresolved complaint. Think about that. It's really interesting. Really interesting. And and not only that, uh, the author of this Psalm isn't just saying that their life has gone bad. Did you notice that they say over and over again, God, it's what? It's your fault. Did you notice that? Right at verse 5, it just keeps coming. And if you want to take notes, you can write this down. In verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 14, 16, and 18, the author of this psalm says, I'm having a bad time, and God, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Hope you noticed that. Not coming from their bad decisions, it's coming from God, Not from an enemy, not from the devil, not from their poor decision-making, not a streak of bad luck. It's coming from God. You remember me no more. Your wrath has overwhelmed me like waves. What does this have to do with the nature of God? Well, a couple things. Uh, the first thing I want to say is, apparently these emotions, and apparently this kind of talk, and apparently this kind of expression is not illegal. I just want to tell everybody in the room that. Maybe, maybe you grew up with a version of Christianity or a version of spirituality that, that would make you nervous to talk like this or even to think like this. Like, you wouldn't even talk like it, but to even think it, you would feel fairly condemned. And I just want to say the first thing is this. Apparently, this kind of speech is not illegal. Uh, not only that, uh, these feelings, these feelings uh, not only these feelings... But these emotions, uh, these expressions apparently don't automatically open up a trap door beneath your feet that sends you directly to hell. Some of us grew up with this idea that if you were to, you know, if you were to be honest with God about what you think is really happening in your life, that a little invisible trap door to hell would just open up right beneath your feet and there'd be some, we'd, we would all just wave bye to you. You know? Or that, or that if If you were the sort of person who would express this sort of thing, that God would shove a piano out of heaven, and when it hit you, he would laugh. He would like, well, you know, still batting a thousand. But apparently, it's not illegal, and apparently, this doesn't send you straight to hell. And because of that, it makes one ask this question. What sort of God allows this kind of challenge? Like, what sort of God allows his creation to talk back to him like this? Like, what sort of God would would allow for this? Uh, Here's what I want to say. A secure God. That's who. A secure God. See, this begins to get to the nature of God. What sort of God will allow someone to talk back to him like this? A secure one. I just want to say a few things here. God is not petty. God's not small. He's not threatened. He's not... He's not petty, small, threatened, or insecure about our pain, our cries, or our challenge. The truth is, he's vulnerable to it. He's actually vulnerable to it. That's what we see in Jesus. He's come near us. He sang it this morning. Think about this. What kind of God lets his detractors write a negative review in the middle of his worship book? It's a good question, right? How many of you ever write Yelp reviews? Anybody here ever written a Yelp review? Anybody here ever had a bad experience at a place or, or a restaurant? and you're, you're like, I need to probably write a negative review just so they know. You know? How many, how many, yeah. what kind of God lets his detractors write a negative review in his worship book? That's one question. Uh, the second question is similar. What kind of God keeps it in for thousands of years? A secure one. A secure one. Uh, part of what this shows us is a couple things. Number one, God is secure. Number two, the Bible is not propaganda. The Bible is not propaganda. God is not threatened. Uh, and here's why God is not threatened. Well, let me, so, let me tell you why he's, let me tell you the reason that he's not, not threatened. Some of us hear me say, well, God's not threatened. And you think, well, of course God is not threatened. He's strong. He's God. Like, who am I to him? He doesn't care. He sits in his ivory tower. I'm shouting like prayers of complaint and he can't even hear me. He's like, what's that? What? You know, he's like in the tower. What? what are you, I can't hear you. Maybe if you shouted it louder, you know? And so some of us might get the idea that God is not threatened because he's so far away or God is not threatened because he's the strongest one, you know? He just plays all of his Omni cards every time. You know, you come at him with a thread, he throws an Omni on it. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Omni, Omni, you know? And none of those are the reason that God is not threatened. I think the security that God demonstrates by allowing a negative review in his worship book for thousands of years actually speaks to love. People who are matured in love and people who are matured by love are secure in their depths. We'll just put this into the real world for a second. Uh, How many of you have ever had, how many of you have ever had a confrontation with someone. Anybody ever had a confrontation? And I'm not, I'm not even saying a big confrontation, but it could be something fairly small. Some some like minor disagreement or minor misunderstanding, and you feel like I I probably need to say something to this person because something's not right here. And you go and say something to them, and in the midst of saying something to them, they explode on you. Or they get super defensive, and then they they begin to like they begin to do the thing that all insecure people do, which is change the subject, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, well, you, you know? I mean, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So there's this sense in which, there's this sense in which, like, really insecure people, they can never really receive anything. And one of the things that I've learned is that people who have been grown in love and matured by love, they're not insecure. And you can even challenge a person who has been steeped in love And because they're so deeply secure, the challenge doesn't bring up the fire. Does that make sense? They can actually sit with you in it at a certain point. And probably many of us have had that experience. How many of you have had this experience? Where you go to someone, and maybe it's mildly confrontational or fairly confrontational, and you get three-quarters of the way through your speech, and you realize you're an idiot. Like, I'm an idiot. What am I talking about right now? And it's like, I was so mad. And the person over there is, because they've been matured and steeped in love, they're just listening, and they're saying things like, well, will not you tell me about that? You know? And you're like, Ve-ve-ve. and you're three-quarters of the way into it, and you're like, I am an idiot. Holy moly. What is going on here, right? Yeah. Been there, done that. God's security speaks to his love. People who have been matured in love and matured by love. They're secured in their depths. This is not God flexing his strength. And, and the reason I'm making this distinction here, that God's security is rooted in love rather than strength, uh, it's actually fairly basic. Uh, how many of you have met really strong people who were deeply insecure? Yeah. They're like everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes, people who, who feel strong to us are the most insecure. And oftentimes, if I can just play like, um, if I can just play, you know, psychological quarterback, and I just need to ask your forgiveness here because I'm not a psychologist, but oftentimes people who seem the most strong, the strength that they're demonstrating is actually a manifestation of their own insecurity. They're trying to say to you, don't step to me because I'm really weak on the end. Does that make sense? And this is why the security and the strength of God is not rooted in His power or his, or his raw strength or any of his omni cards, it's actually rooted in his love. Uh, the Bible never says God is strength, but it says many times God is love. This is not God flexing his strength. How many of you have seen people put up something that's maybe mildly agitating or or controversial on Facebook or Twitter and then block all their dissenters. (laughs) Not on my wall. You know, I've just said this thing that's kind of controversial and someone's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Not on my wall blocked, you know. (laughs) Delete. Canceled, you know. God's not like that. God's not like that. He puts negative reviews in the middle of his praise book. By the way, that's really good news. You just need to let that wash over you. It's the nat- who, who, who is God and what is He like? He allows negative reviews in His praise book. And why? Because He's so secure. And why is He so secure? Because He is love itself. That's why. That's why. So, number one, the nature of God. Number two, this will go quicker. Number two, uh, first steps are not the final steps. If you're dealing with pain this morning, you need to really listen to me for about the next seven minutes because I'm going to help you just a little bit, okay? First steps are not the final steps. Speaking our pain and naming our pain are not only allowed, but they might be important first steps on the road to healing. On the road to healing, probably going to have to name it. Uh, Here's what I've noticed in life. Denial only empowers our false self. The more that you or I live in denial, all we're doing is empowering Our false self. We're not actually living into our true self. Stuffing our emotions stokes a fire in our soul that will consume us. And so a lot of us have grown up in families maybe where we don't talk about stuff, you know, silent families. We don't talk about it, we just avoid, right? And so then we learn muscle memory, emotional muscle memory is what I would call it, of avoidance, uh, of not being trouble or not being confrontational. Just let it go and let it go. And we just stuff, 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 stuff. Put it in there, put it in there. And then maybe some bad things happen in our life that were sort of out of our control. And we're like, why is life like this? But I'm not going to talk about that because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be blessed. How are you doing? I'm blessed, but I'm not blessed. I'm like super sick and I'm dying, but I'm blessed. I'll stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. And all we're doing in those sort of like denial processes is living into our false self. We're becoming more, more and more untrue at the most foundational levels of who we are. And when we do that, we're setting a fire. We're throwing gasoline on a fire in our soul and it will consume us. It will consume us. How many of you have ever been around someone or been in a situation where uh, all of a sudden someone was uh, overly angry at someone who had nothing to do with the situation at hand and had no control to change it, but this person is like exploding on someone who didn't have anything to do with it and can't change it. It's like, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Stuffing. Just stuff it in there. Tamp it down. Tamp it down. I'm great. I'm doing terrific. How are you? Great. You know? Stuff, stuff. Because every time we do that, we're just throwing more gasoline, and it will show up somewhere else. Um, yesterday, I was on my way home from Colorado Springs. I flew from Denver to Atlanta, and then I got on another plane in Atlanta, and I was coming home, and we got almost to Louisville, and they turned us around and made us go back to Atlanta because we were having some sort of a wing problem. And so I'm like, why can't we just land in... Louisville. I mean, the whole plane is thinking that, right? It's like, look, well, just let us land in Louisville. You know, I'm just like, whatever, wing problem? Like, land it, you know? But this one guy, two rows in front of us, explodes, right? He explodes. And he's like yelling at everyone. He's yelling at the pilots, who can't hear him, by the way. He's yelling at the pilots who can't hear him. And then he starts to yell at The the flight attendants, and uh, how many of you know that it's not the flight attendants' fault? It's not even the pilot's fault. Uh, And how many of you also know the flight attendants can't do anything about it, right? So when the announcement comes on, guess where we're going? We're going to Atlanta. And that's just what it is, right? And this guy is like crazy angry. He's just like, and he wouldn't shut up. He just wouldn't shut up. How many of you know that's weird? Like how many of you know it's it'd be normal to be frustrated. It's like, oh man, why can't we just land, you know? Huh? But to be that angry and to begin to like borderline abusive to people who didn't cause it and can't fix it, that how many of you know that's weird? Okay, again, quarterback psychologist. I'm not one. Don't believe in play one on TV. But how many of you know uh, that guy is probably a stuffer. Stuff, stuff. That's what I mean. It begins to. Sh- this stuff shows up in another part of your life. Like if we don't deal with who we really are, then who we don't want to be begins to just spill out in other parts of our life. And I just want to tell you something else about denial as well. It doesn't just show up in our emotions or in our outbursts. Uh, it it may actually just lock you up to where you you can't say anything. You don't feel anything anymore. Uh, and then more dramatically, uh, to stuff and to live into our false self and to live with uh, increasing denial in our lives, it will eventually possibly show up in your body. Lots of people are very, very sick, and there's no organic cause to it. It is psychosomatic. It is emotional. Uh, If you want to put the word spiritual in there, I would. Uh, If you want to use the word demonic, I would. Uh, All of those could be interchangeable because it comes from a person who's living not into the truth of their actual self. No matter how painful or how broken or how vulnerable the actual self feels like, it's putting on a, ma- a mask of falsity that causes us to be untrue, 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 never telling what we really are or who we really are. And how many of you know that eventually that stuff will come out, and it could come out in your body? Like, how many times have I prayed with people who were, who were sick and couldn't get better, only to find that after waiting with God for a little bit, that this thing had tremendous historic emotional roots uh, that were now showing up in their organic frame. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what denial does. Denial sets your life on fire. Denial sets your life on fire. Uh, Denial, is, it, 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 it is a basic form of dishonesty that none of us are required to maintain. I just, want to hear, I just want you to know that. You don't have to maintain that, right? So what does that mean? It means here at the vineyard, if you're sick, say it. Like, if you're sick, you should say it. Uh, if you're hurt, you should be able to say it. And if you're a broken person, you should be able to say that as well. And that doesn't mean you have to say it to everyone. That doesn't mean you have to come up here and go, Hey, guys... Uh, before we start worship this morning, just want y'all to know I'm super broken. Uh, yeah, my dad was a terrible person. You don't have to do that. But what it does mean is that unless we begin to live into the true self of actually telling the truth, there's tremendous consequences. And if you're sick, uh, you don't need to, to show me your super spiritual card by telling me you're not sick. you know. And if you're broken, uh, you don't need to hide your brokenness from the only possibility of getting well which is to say it and to name it a couple of things from the text i hope you noticed this morning i hope you noticed that the writer takes his complaint straight to god i don't know about you but when there's real difficulty in my life i try to go to the manager you know because the 16 year old kid who's running the cash register he doesn't even have the codes to get to the screen that I need to fix it, right? It's like, I've just learned, anytime I have a problem when I go to Lowe's, I'm not talking to the floor associate. They're good people. It has nothing to do with them. I want the manager, right? When I'm taking it back, and if that guy punches on his screen like three times, he doesn't know what he's doing, I'm just like, bro, get the manager. Take me to the manager. That's what we see in Psalm 88. Like, whoever this fellow is or whoever this woman is, uh, they're saying, take me to the owner. Take me to the owner. Take me to the manager. The other thing I hope you noticed this morning is that we were able to read the text from Psalm 88 because it is a text. And what that means is it is a text because somebody wrote it down. And here's what I would like to offer for some of us in the room this morning. Uh, One way of starting the process of handling our pain is to say it in writing to God. So whatever the thing is that you most don't want to say, and whatever the thing is you've been most hiding, uh, your addiction, your pain, your, your, your vulnerability, the abuse, the trauma, the PTSD that you experience for any number of reasons in your life, uh, the, actual, the actual sickness that's in your body, not the imagined one, but the, the actual one, uh, one of the things that it might be decent to do is to go ahead and name it and to say it in writing to God. There's, pow- there's actually power in that. Uh, how many of you know that, uh, the first thing that you're going to get or hope for when you go to a doctor is that that doctor is going to evaluate you uh, in hopes that, uh, that he or she might be able to diagnose you because without a diagnosis, treatment's kind of crazy, right? Well, it's like, I don't really know what's wrong with you, but why don't you take these 20 pills? But I don't know if that's what's wrong with me. No, diagnosis is, is, is important, am I right? Like, and so even in our own soul, maybe the beginning of healing is to name it. Name it might be the first step to walking out some healing, and some of us might be thinking this morning everything I'm talking about, like to say it, to live into the true self, to write it down, to tell someone, Adam, that just sounds like emotional vomiting or or spiritual vomiting. It feels and looks gross. You know, it's like I don't want to do that. I don't want to. How many of you? How many of you have heard people say, well, they were vomiting on me. You know. Yeah, or maybe, how, how many of you have ever vomited on someone? Yeah, it is awkward, and it is gross, but how many of you know that in real life, when it comes to real, real vomiting, how many of you know that that vomiting, while really awkward, gross, and unattractive, it's the first step of getting well and getting that virus out? It's like, why is your body vomiting? Because something needs to get out, you know, and sometimes the beginning of healing, sometimes the beginning of spiritual healing, sometimes the beginning of physical or even emotional healing sometimes it looks more like vomiting sometimes it goes from unattractive to very very unattractive you know and so i just want to tell everybody in here you know your path of healing it it might be emotional laying on the cold bathroom floor so your face can be on the tile and chugging into the toilet a little bit and if it is it's actually okay we'll bring you a little damp washcloth maybe not me but someone here will <laughs> probably not me i'm just kidding I would. All I'm trying to say is that repression and denial just cause our insides to rot. It's like spiritual gangrene where the initial injury gets worse. Like you're just home, you're cooking, you're know, you just listening to your podcast and you're cooking, you're not really looking and then all of a sudden you just cut your thumb real good and you're like, I'm great. I'm not hurt, I'm really great. And then you're like, well, I don't know what to really do about this and so you just put some, you just wrap some you're like, okay, gauze. Maybe you put some gauze on there. You don't, you don't really wash it. You don't have any of that Neosporin stuff. And you're just like, I'm, put some gauze on there. And then, you know, you don't want someone to know you're injured because maybe they were coming for dinner. And you, you're just like, you know, so you're like, you, you walk, they come into your house, you're like this. They're like, what's the matter with you? And they're just like, I, I'm great. There's nothing wrong with me. They're like, no, but why are you, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Like, are you scratching your stomach? What's going on? I'm not, not, uh, this is normal. Well, You don't do this? You know? Well, well, but what's going on? Like, are you, is there, like, what's going on with your hand? There's nothing wrong with my hand. This is where my hand always is. You know? And then you just let it go, and after four or five days, it gets, like, super red and swollen with infection, and you're like, it's a little, it's hot. But you're not telling anyone, Right? You just keep letting it grow, and then before you know it, in a couple weeks, you've got, like, some flesh-eating bacteria in there, and your thumb is rotting off, and it starts to smell bad, right? I'm not a doctor. I, don't, I think this is how it works. I don't know. I've shot animals. That's what happened. I, you know, that's, the limit. that's the limitation of my medical knowledge. But here's what I'll tell you. Like, you go a few weeks, and all of a sudden, that thing starts to rot I mean, you're like you're alive, but you're kind of like dying. There's a part of you dying. It starts to smell bad. And then all of a sudden, people don't want to be around you, A, because you're like really awkward. You're the guy who won't take his hand from, out un- from underneath his shirt, and, you, and your hand is smelling. Like people are like, That's, you are gross. I don't want to be with you, right? Some of us are like, why are people like running away from me? Well, maybe there 's emotional gangrene, maybe there 's spiritual gangrene in your life, and it 's just come from denial like denial, 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 you stuffed, you stuffed, you stuffed, you stuffed you cut you, you had a spiritual laceration that just and you wouldn 't tell anybody you 're like no i 'm great i 'm like i 'm blessed brother i 'm totally blessed you know i 'm doing awesome, praise the Lord you know and and then all of a sudden you end up with spiritual gangrene. Uh, people don't know what's wrong with you, but they can smell that something's not right and people are running away. Uh, Do you notice that in the scripture this morning, this guy or this gal says, all my friends have left me? I think I've beat that point into the ground. Okay, the last one, number three, and this will go quick, hope. I just want to say this, the end is music. The end is music. Hey, if you're here at the vineyard today and you're weary or if you're sick, uh, if none of your prayers have been answered or if your friends have left you, if you're alone, if your life has become bleak, I have some good news. God will not cancel you for saying so, and and it's bound to change. Like whatever season you're sitting in right now, it's bound to change. Does somebody here have a Bible? Anybody here have a Bible? Danny, can you, can you do something for me? Yeah, I bet you can. Hey, Danny, could you, could you read... The last verse of Psalm 88, you'd care to just, I don't mean to embarrass you, you'd care to just stand up? Fairly loud. Psalm 88, last verse. Yeah, different version. Okay, Danny, can you read Psalm 89, verse 1? Oh, yes. Psalm 89, verse 1. To change. Psalm 88, no resolution. Psalm 89, verse 1, I'm going to sing of the faithfulness of the Lord. I'm going to tell all the generations. How many of you know that eventually you get to turn the page? Eventually, you know, you get to turn the page. And it may not be today. Uh, you may have to sit in Psalm 88 for a day or two. Uh, some of you may have to live there for a year. Some of us may go around that loop for a decade. But eventually, you get to turn the page. I was praying on that flight home from yesterday, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Adam, did you know that even, even in Alaska the snow melts? Right? Even in Alaska the snow melts. And even in Death Valley, it rains. And in Death Valley, when it rains, there's like a super bloom. You know? Whatever's going on in your life, sickness, disappointment, friendlessness, loneliness, things are not turning out the way you'd hoped. Whatever it is, be honest about it, but know this. Everybody gets to turn the page, eventually. Eventually, the pages turn. Eventually, winter becomes spring. Some of you might be thinking, well, Adam, yeah, but some people don't get healed, and some people have depression that doesn't go away. and Some things are just chronic in life. I want to tell you something. That's right. All of those things are true. But without being trite, I want to preach... Th- the good news of resurrection to you for just one minute. Can we put up verse 10 and 11? 10 first. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Verse 11. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place, place of destruction? You know, maybe the person in Psalm 88 felt like those were questions with a no. But because we are a church who has not only Psalm 88, but we also have the New Testament and the story of Jesus, we know that, that there is there is actually the possibility of declaring unfaithful, un, unfailing love from the grave and that people who have gone down into the depths could be raised up with praise. This is what the story of Jesus is. And if you're here and you feel like everything is lost, if you're here and you feel like everything has become desolate and you feel basically like a walking corpse, I want to tell you the good news is this. Uh, we're resurrection people. We're resurrection people. Uh, The founder of our movement is the one person who's been raised, not just for a day or two, but forever. Uh, Jesus has been raised. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He has a body, which is to say that he has a life not unlike yours and mine. God is going to raise it all up. Sickness and pain, isolation, loneliness, vulnerability, that's not where our story is headed. We are headed to a symphony we're headed to a symphony of love and embrace and you might suffer for many, many years and, and your suffering may not be uh, any fault of your own. But Jesus, I want you to know this morning, I want you to know that Jesus has prepared a place for you and it's springtime there and everything is well. That's where we're headed. Jesus has a place for you. It's springtime, everything is well and, and you don't have to live into denial in order to get there. You could tell the truth. So here's what I want to do this morning. If you're on the ministry team, come on up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.